HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. When we talk about agriculture in the U.S., there is often an archetypal American farmer that comes to mind. Perhaps they're in overalls, maybe a cowboy hat, but they're almost always white. The white farmer trope has become a fixture in America's invented agricultural past. However, the story of American agriculture is one which relies heavily on the labor and expertise of black people while perpetually writing them out of the story. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this week on Meet and 3, instead of our normal format, we have a bonus episode. Produced by our intern, Tosh Kimmel, this episode will explore the fraught history of Black agriculture in America. From land-grabbing to shady USDA lending practices, to the government's most recent attempts at righting the wrongs of the racist past. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. This March, against the backdrop of a pending economic recession, President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan into effect. The $1.9 trillion relief plan has become a polarizing feature in the conversation around systemic racism— with a provision called the Emergency Relief for Farmers of Color Act. The act, which allocates $4 billion to historically disenfranchised farmers, has reopened old wounds along racial and political lines, intensifying the debate for reparations. While a majority of the bill comes in direct response to COVID, the financial woes of Black farmers have existed long before the virus. To better contextualize the historical and cultural significance of the rescue plan, I spoke with cultural anthropologist and co-founder of nonprofit Farms to Grow, Dr. Gail Myers. The U.S. was built, especially the Southern, built on the backs of Africans. And their labor built the banks, the coffers of these slavers, uh, went from zero to millions, right? And so upon the end of the Civil War, Africans had nothing. Africans in America had nothing. Coming out of the enslavement period from 1863, 1865 until 1910, uh, Black families had accumulated 12.6 million acres. Over 910,000 Black families were working land. So it went from zero to 12 million acres. After the 1910s and the 1920s, I mean, various types of policies, certainly the sharecropper experience, the tenant farmers, 
So these farmers were basically disenfranchised and lost pretty much every acre of that. Black farmers were the backbone of American agriculture for centuries, from slavery through the civil rights era. But while their forced labor built an empire, attempts at financial freedom post-emancipation only drew the ire of their white counterparts. It was by the hand of both the USDA and the individuals emboldened by them that many Blacks lost their livelihoods, and at times their lives. But a lot of this land was taken through fire. Uh, They burnt these towns down. Uh, under the guise of someone had been violated, some woman had been violated. So those kinds of losses through violence, through intimidation, through just, you know, quote unquote, I don't know if I should say just not the government, but white citizens. That was one set of intimidation, violence, and loss. Then there was the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, which is tasked with helping all farmers succeed in agriculture. Based on two civil rights reports, the USDA did an abysmal, horrible job of supporting Black farmers. From its peak in 1910, Black land ownership has plummeted by nearly 90%. While its consequences are clear, the USDA's racist agenda was often covert and shrouded by bureaucracy. USDA-backed loans have been a form of this financial support for many farmers, but the access to these loans has not been necessarily fair throughout uh, the past century. Uh, A lot of um, more dogged reporters have looked at how USDA and banks who administer these loans have either turned down applications or rejected applications on the basis of race, Um, and that's kind of even led to tens of thousands of discrimination complaints from black farmers alleging that the USDA withheld loans from them on the basis of race. USDA's Office of Civil Rights has found that thousands of these claims have merit. So that's, that's kind of a good starting point to think about the relationship between USDA and farmers. That's Jessica Fu, staff writer and food reporter with The Counter. In a recent investigation by the publication, it was revealed that the USDA intentionally misrepresented data in order to cover up decades of discriminatory practices. In the shadow of these past wrongs, the question remains, how does the USDA plan to implement this new act and begin making amends? USDA is reaching out through mailers to farmers who hold uh, USDA debt and backed debt and who are farmers of color to, to give them estimates of how much debt they'll see forgiven, at which point farmers can either contest that amount or agree to it and then see that debt forgiven. Introduced by Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, the act plans to offer forgiveness of up to 120 percent on USDA and privately backed loans. What doesn't go to debt relief will contribute to education, grants, and training. While some argue this is not enough, others believe any payout at all is too much. When the bill had just passed, some lawmakers raised concern with the fear about you know, so-called reverse racism lawsuits and reverse racism litigation. It seems like that prediction has kind of come to fruition. My understanding is that there's two lawsuits kind of winding their way through the courts right now. 
opposing debt relief for black farmers and for farmers of color um, on the argument that many groups have faced discrimination, including white farmers in, in some form, and, and that this form of debt forgiveness is uh, divisive and is in violation of the Constitution, I believe, is one argument that one group is making. While the American Rescue Plan Act may seem like a landmark bill, it's not the first of its kind. In 1997, the Pigford v. Glickman settlement promised to compensate black farmers for years of discriminatory lending practices. However, of the almost 28,000 farmers who applied, less than 400 of them received the aid they applied for. According to the Congressional Budget Office, less than 5% of the Pigford funds went to debt forgiveness. Many lost their farms waiting for the money they were promised. Even after Pigford, they still couldn't show evidence that since Pigford, there had been an increase in lending better practices. So nothing changed. So I would suspect that even after this $5 billion, this loan forgiveness, not much is going to change. As recently as 2012, the USDA released misleading data that suggested an increase in Black farmers and an end to the department's racist history. In reality, the USDA continued to foreclose on Black farmers, disregarding discrimination complaints and continuing to withhold loans. So what does this mean for farmers today, who still face the legacy of racism within the industry? To get a better idea of the social landscape of modern agriculture, I spoke with California farmer and community organizer Roosevelt Tarleson. My name is Roosevelt Tarleson. I'm a farmer in California from Liberia. And farming is my life. My parents, parent, 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 that's all they did, farming. And I grew up on a farm. When I entered America, I didn't go directly to farming, but I wanted to re-enter the farming. So when I became to trying to gain a farming, I found it that it was a very, very difficult for Black to get in farming. Today, Black farmers like Tarleson make up less than 2% of all American farmers. While this bill may provide a glimmer of hope for a changing landscape, it can't undo the damage that's already been done. In light of the Pigford case's failures, there's skepticism things will change. And for Black farmers, the compounded cost of land loss has rippled through families for generations, not only devastating communities, but limiting generational wealth and preventing upward mobility. Black people as a race of people or as a nation must be able to, to produce, be on the supply side of food. Uh, so it's opened a door for economic, you know, uh, of power. The $5 billion, yes, it's, 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 it's a good thing that body administration are trying to do. Uh, that's just a stated, you know, agenda, not yet implemented. So we don't know how it will, what it will look like. But let me say this to everybody that are listening. $5 billion, I would say, like a penny on the, on the dollar. This June, as the USDA was set to dole out its first round of payments, the relief plan was blocked by Florida federal judge Marcia Morales-Howard. As of June 23rd, the Emergency Relief for Farmers of Color Act hangs in limbo. Equality is not guaranteed for Black people in America. And the fight of Black farmers is about so much more than growing fruits or vegetables. For people like Tarleson, farming is a way of life, of connecting with the land and with the community. As this bill fights to survive, we are reminded of the racism that still lives in every facet of American society. For those working against it, the only thing promised is the continued passion and resilience of the Black community.
Special thanks this week to Tosh Kimmel for producing this important bonus episode. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.